0: Just between us hey. Just between us hey. yeah. Hello, I'm Allison Raskin I'm a writer, director, and excessive sweater when exercising Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and I am sleepy Right now? Yeah, kind of always but I've been sleeping better. I know there's people have been on the edge of their seat about my insomnia. <laughs> uh, I've been doing a sleeping pill and an edible. Oh, and it's been helping? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And you're going to bed and waking up
0: at the same time every day? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. And I'm living somewhere now that's much quieter. Mm, mm-hmm. My And my friend is living in my old apartment. And that apartment, my friend texted me and was like, can I ask why your neighbors are obsessed with Van Morrison and just playing Van Morrison at all times? And then uh, and then today they were like, Hey uh, she was like, Hey, so um they've been playing under the bridge by the red hot chili peppers like just for hours. You can like hear the full lyrics Oh, it's lyrics like it's in everything. my it, Yeah, it's like it's in my house. Ugh, we
1: have a thing where the people above us, we can like hear their Roku noise. Wait, Roku or Roomba? Roku. So it's like that sound of like or whatever. Oh, when it turns on. But there was one night where it was happening like every three minutes. Why? We don't know what they're up to. They're up to all sorts of stuff. And they also fight all the time, I think I've mentioned. So like sometimes (gasps) we'll just like wake up to them screaming. Oh, my God. (laughs) Pretty cool. What's really cool is that this guy is the president of the condo board. So you can't (laughs) say anything. (laughs) Jake is always like, he's my president, but I don't respect him or something. (laughs)
0: I didn't vote for him. Who is he? Jake should run Jake for wants president. To run against him. He should. Can you imagine something more like ridiculous and low stakes to focus on? Is Jake's campaign for president of the condo board? I would make a documentary about it in a heartbeat. It's the whitest thing I've ever heard in my life.
1: <laughs> this is just between us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games, and brutal honesty. Oh my God. Would he have to make posters? Like, vote for Jake. There's, like, three positions on the board, and I don't even think that most years, like, more than three people run.
0: <laughs> okay, so-, so here's my th- idea. What if Jake and you both run, and then two out of three of them are you? And then the th- no, and the third one's my dad. Oh, my God. And then you're a monarchy.
1: Yeah, we can have a reality show called Raskin's Rule, and it's just, like, us in charge of this condo board HOA. <laughs> <laughs>
0: with no uh, I, like skills or background like, yeah, and, and, doing and, that. And,
1: like, and just like dealing with people being like I need this fixed and us being like It's not in the budget And that's the whole show <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god Unfortunately that show's
0: not yet available But we do have a great episode for you guys this week We're going to be talking to clinical psychologist Dr. Ramani All about being in a relationship with a narcissist
1: Spoiler it is not
0: fun And later, we'll discuss body hair. Sexy. But first, hit it! International question! International question! International question!
1: Vicky, Australia. Hi, Allison and Gabby. Big fan of the show. My question is about using dating apps. So, a bit of background. I've been using dating apps on and off, and I can't really decide whether I should use them or not. I've been on Bumble recently, and the vast majority of messages I get are pretty shit. Men are pretty shit house. <laughs> I, I'm assuming that's a term in Australia, but I will now be using it on the daily. I, lo- I love it. <laughs> Other than that, when I do click with a guy, it ends up either being a boring date or a really weird, intense, short-term relationship. I don't know why it keeps happening. I think that it could be because the guys that are into me are generally no-hopers. Again, an g- incredible phrase.
0: I love how this person talks. Me too.
1: (laughs) That being said, I have had a couple of good combos on Bumble recently, but all the other shit messages seem to drown it out. I've been using Bumble more recently because uni got closed because of COVID. So I guess my question is, is it worth using Bumble?
0: Okay, well, first of all, Vicky, have you tried not being straight? (laughs) I think that could really elevate your experience of dating. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Queer people have problems too.
1: So this like brings up like a really interesting thing that I think people apply to a lot of different aspects of life where it's like, oh, I'm having some bad experience. Does that mean that I give up on it completely? And I think that if your safety is not in danger, if your mental health is not in danger, uh, you shouldn't give up on it. (laughs) You know, like there's going to be good experiences. There's going to be bad experiences. Um, I also think that... Uh, Bumble is just one app of many. I personally, I liked the experience of Hinge the best because I think that that one really makes you have to interact with the person's profile more. Um, you met Jake makes, on Hinge. Yeah, and I met Jake on Hinge. You can't just like someone's entire profile. You have to like pick a specific thing. And so, I mean, when you say like, oh, should I just like give up on Bumble because it's like, having some bad experiences, it's kind of like being like, should I give up on dating because I have some Mm -hmm. bad experiences? And the answer is no. You know, you got to kind of like push through have
0: multiple, have Tinder, have Hinge, have Bumble, have all of them.
1: But I also really think that there are some clear kind of rules and guidelines that make it so that you're doing it a lot more effectively. And I would now like to share those. Yeah, go for it. um so i interviewed a couple of dating experts about this specifically for a project i'm doing and some really helpful tips that they said was if somebody's profile doesn't really have information about them so like it's like just a couple of like photos of them like doing nothing and they like bio doesn't share anything that's not a person worth interacting with because Mm. they're not putting in the effort to like actually show who they are And while you might be like, oh, but then I can unveil it and, you know, Mm -hmm. I can get to the bottom of this enigma, it's not worth your time. Move on to somebody who's like actively trying more.
0: (laughs) Okay, but what if that first person is hot? So that's right. So uh, again, move on. Okay. Well,. Huge if true, but.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then I also think that the the faster that you can get to an authentic conversation where you're actually talking about real things and, and not just like facts about yourself, but also feelings that you have about those facts. So like, for example, not just like what you do for work, but why you do that for work, you know, what drew Mm -hmm. you to this, what you want to be doing, you know, like the more that you reveal yourself early on, either that person will not reveal themselves and then you realize, okay, this is not a person worth engaging with Mm -hmm. or it will make them feel comfortable that they can reveal their true selves and then that will help you so much faster figure out like if you two actually vibe and have a connection.
0: How quickly should you meet in
1: person? So with COVID, obviously, I don't know, two to three years. But <laughs> like, I think that the faster that you can get off of just the medium of messaging is mm-hmm. good. So FaceTime. I would, yeah, I would FaceTime. I would FaceTime or do a phone call pretty quickly. And that way you're not like, you know, wasting an entire afternoon or evening, but you're actually getting to know the other person. You're seeing if they represented themselves correctly, if like you vibe with them So I think that like kind of having that as your first layer of defense um, will really like narrow down who you're actually talking to.
0: I know people who are doing FaceTime dates right now. And then Mm -hmm. um, if they really vibe, they're like going to go get tested if they both live, if they both live alone, Mm -hmm. they're going to go get tested and then meet up at someone's house, which is an interesting new wrinkle because my friend said that it's it's more commitment. Because you have to like be like, yes, I really do want to meet you. Like we have to we're going to go get tested for each other. And also you can
1: do like a park hangout. And then once you realize it's something worth it, then you can go get tested.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. What a new world. Yeah. and I, I, You know,
1: I just think that dating apps allow you to explicitly state what you are looking for.
0: That's what I was going to ask. Like, Vicky, what are you looking for?
1: Yeah. So if you are looking for a relationship... I think it's valid for you to say that. I know that especially us straight girls have been told over and over again that like we have to pretend like that's not what we want in order for it to be what we get. But that's not true. And that's a lie. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So if you saying that you want a relationship causes the other person to retract, then you were never going to be compatible in the first place because you never wanted the same things.
0: Right, exactly. And you were very explicit on your profile. Not on my profile,
1: but once I, you know, got to know someone and also like once it became apparent to me kind of where they were in their life, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted somebody who was like more settled versus somebody who like was in this career but wanted to be a writer and was trying this and that yeah. and, like, you know, wasn't satisfied in what they were doing. You know, like, I I wanted somebody at my pace of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's totally fine and valid to, to say that. Obviously, Vicky's young, but this is, you know, applies to everybody and some a lot of people online are older and are looking to, like, settle down. And that's great and valid and something you should say.
0: I remember us joking that you were going to make your profile say, if you're not trying to marry me, leave me alone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like if you don't want to get
1: engaged in a year, I'm not the girl for you. (laughs) Yeah,
0: which is funny, but it's also probably a good profile. Hey,
1: I met Jake uh, February of 2019. and We got engaged May of 2020 and it was supposed to be end of March, but COVID happened.
0: So it would have been a year. It would have been a year. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know that I've long term dated anyone from an app. Or like if I have met people from an app, it was usually like, oh, we have so many friends in common. We may as well have met in real life or something like we just matched on the app. But like we already kind of knew of each other. Mm -hmm. The only person that came out of nowhere was the kid. And that was also me being explicit about what I was looking for.
1: This is when you dated a 20 year old. He's not 20. He was 24.
0: (laughs) Uh, He's a a grown man. But I call him the kid because that's. Uh, like eight years younger than me, but that was like I don't I don't want to date I just want to hook up or whatever, um, right? Which is
1: great and fine, but just again something you need to be explicit about.
0: Totally explicit about. I didn't want someone matching with me who would be heartbroken.
1: Yeah, and another another big thing to discuss is like your values, right? So like I I know that like this idea of like bringing up politics or religion or family is like ooh, but mm-hmm. again. The faster you get to know this stuff, the faster you can figure out if there's compatibility there. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's okay to ask those questions. I also think you should really make sure that you're speaking and joking with your authentic voice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because if you're pretending to be somebody else, then what's the point of that?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's why it's not going to last because you can't keep up the charade.
1: Yeah. And and one of the best (laughs) advice that one of the dating coach gave was that like you want to be having fun. So like if it's yeah. fun for you, if it's fun for you to text with your friends, then approach it that same way. Like, what do you want to be talking about? What is funny to you? What's amusing to you? What topics are interesting to you? Like kind of go into it the way you would like go into a fun text conversation with your friend um, instead of like trying to guess what this person wants to talk about. Right. Like if you're initiating it, especially on Bumble, um, then What's interesting to you, like make Mm -hmm. jokes that are funny to you, because if that person isn't laughing over Bumbo, they're definitely not going to laugh when you're face to face and took this covid test and are now stuck looking at each other in awkward (laughs)
0: silence. You know, (laughs) yeah, totally. I mean. There are definitely more shit messages than good messages. It's Mm -hmm. really about like waiting things and like, you know, I, I would match with like, God, like 20 people. And then if one of them was like an actual contender, that would be incredible. It's a true numbers game. It's a
1: numbers game, but it's also about being picky, like I said at the beginning, about who you bother to match
0: with. Ah, okay.
1: So who do you bother to match with first? Right. Like, you know, just because someone's attractive, again, what does their profile say? If it says nothing, not worth it. If it says something that's like, "Mm, to you, not worth Mm -hmm. it. If it's Mm -hmm. clear that like you have no shared interests or hobbies, they're like, I love adventure. And you're like, I hate adventure. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. know, like Mm -hmm. just because someone's physically attractive doesn't mean you need to match with them.
0: Right. Well, ugh, what a lesson I had to learn. <laughs> but I, I love online dating and I think
1: it's a really great way to meet people you wouldn't meet otherwise. It, it's just pushing through the noise and then enjoying pushing through the noise instead of like dreading it. So, you know, being able to laugh off those bad messages versus letting them bring you down all day.
0: Yeah. There's a dating app uh, called Lex that's for queer people and mm-hmm. there's no pictures Oh, that's cool. Like, you can go to their Instagram, but you, the first thing you do is read, like, their personals ad, basically. Yeah. Um, and a bunch of my friends have met on there. I don't know if that would work for straight people, but... But, again, it's, like, getting to know the stuff faster, because why Yeah, not? that's the thing. Yeah, <laughs> like, I would make your own profile as explicit as possible to maybe try to weed some of those people out. Mm-hmm.
1: Totally. And, and again, authentic. Lead with authenticity. Hopefully that helped. Vicki, uh, let us know if you find true love.
0: <laughs> ah, please, we always want to know, anyone listening, let us know if you found true love. Oh yeah, that'd be beautiful. Right in. If you want to submit your international questions
1: at JustBetweenUsPod at gmail.com. That's JustBetweenUs P-O-D at
0: gmail.com. Up next, we have a juicy interview with our narcissism expert, Dr. Romani. Stay tuned. Just
1: back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting,
0: Tough Questions. This week on the show, we have Dr. Romani. Hello. Welcome to the show.
2: Hello. How are you? Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh my gosh, of
1: course, I was uh, deep diving into your stuff and h- how did you get uh, specialized in narcissism of all things?
2: You know it's like all you know like any destination I, I took about a hundred different paths to get here. It was something that evolved over the course of my career. and it was a combination of my um, the research I did at the university and do at the university, my um, clinical experience, you know working with um, working with clients in my own personal office and uh, my private practice office, and then also, personal experiences I'll be honest with you like I definitely had experienced this and no one was able to ever put a name to it and as I was doing my own research I was like wait a minute and then all the pieces aligned and I thought this is not okay
0: (laughs) yeah tell us more about that like how did you yeah narcissism (laughs) and like how did you come to be like oh these are the pieces
2: You know what it was, is I'll be honest with you, it's almost like I can close my eyes and imagine one or two of the most significant client sessions I was in. And the person, you know, what would happen is you, over the course of a couple of weeks of doing therapy three or four people were literally saying the same things over and over again. And there's a minute you actually go back to the file and you're like, Did I, like am, I, am I confusing two of my clients? And no, I wasn't. And then it dawned on me that this was a very relatively endemic problem because I wasn't advertising like, hey, come talk to me about this relationship. But people come and talk about relationships from therapy. These were the themes that kept coming up. So for me, again, I'm, I'm a researcher and an academic by background. So I was like, let me do the deep dive and went back and read and I thought, What was happening was with each client, I started sitting down and writing them email. Okay, so here's what you're dealing with. And I wouldn't even use the word narcissism. You know, I'd say things like, they're invalidating you. They are manipulating you. They're gaslighting you. Like, I would talk about the patterns. I found myself, I kept sending the same email to clients because they were like, can you give me a summary? Because they're like, I am in such a daze and a haze. I don't even remember what you're saying. So those emails actually is what slowly evolved into my book, Should I Stay or Should I Go? Surviving a Relationship with a Narcissist. My attitude being if this all in one book, I wouldn't have to keep writing these emails. But what <laughs> I kept seeing was people coming in with a story where they were talking about being invalidated consistently, dealing with lots of rage. Um, feeling very demeaned, feeling very criticized, but then having enough good days in there to keep them kind of on the hook. And the Mm -hmm. the front end of the relationship was often described the same way. Somewhere between the first three months and year of the relationship, things felt normal-ish, though once we went back and looked at the red flags, they were always there. And then the cycle that would happen, that they would be devalued, and then at some level they'd be discarded. And then just as when the person might in some cases get smart and pull away, then the person would pull them back in. And so as the pattern sort of was like literally building this up brick by brick, and while there had been a couple of things written about this, certainly over the past toxic relationships and codependent relationships and all of this, no one was sort of just calling this thing out for what it was. And this is where I got into more treacherous mental health waters, because as therapists, we're not supposed to call people out, especially people who aren't in the room to which I said, I'm going to call them out because I have a feeling like if I could educate my clients about this pattern and that's where it came to, it was almost like, could it be that simple that if I educate them, number one, this is what this narcissistic pattern is. And then sometimes I'd call it a high conflict pattern. This is what it is. It's, this is what it does to you. And most importantly, it's not going to change I found with many clients in three to six weeks, they're like, okay, you've laid this out. You're, it's, they felt like they were the fortune teller. They're like, how did you know my life? I'm like, well, obviously I don't know your life. It's that this pattern is so consistent. And then armed with that education, many clients in three to six weeks would stop therapy. They're like, I got what I needed here. Thank you so much. And they were good. And I thought, this is insensing that all we needed to do was teach people. And a lot of people were setting themselves free of a toxic pattern. And that's how I got into this. And so now I'm sort of like, I'm doing things like in a way that's not orthodox. That I'm not walking around diagnosing people. I'm saying your partner's behavior is very consistent with narcissism. Narcissism's mm-hmm. not a diagnosis. It's a description. If someone's behavior is narcissistic, it's describing it with an ad- adjective like we would say someone's really friendly or someone's really silly. I mean, these are all adjectives. And um, someone's stubborn. I mean, these are all, we don't get mad when someone says that. Why do we get mad when we use the word narcissism? It's just a descriptor.
1: It also is a a personality disorder for some people, right? Like narcissistic Only personality disorder.
2: That's a yes, that is a personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder. But in order for that to be diagnosed, there's lots of things that need to be in place. And what mm-hmm. I try to tell people is whether or not the person has the disorder is actually quite irrelevant here. These mm-hmm. patterns are toxic in and of themselves. The d- diagnosis actually doesn't matter.
1: And even if they don't have the disorder, it's it's going to be something that's very hard to change, right? So you when you've been talking about your clients, you're talking about their partners because people I'm talking
2: about their partners, yeah. I mean, the yeah, narcissists the I do work themselves with people think narcissist. that they're
1: fine, right?
2: Oh, absolutely. They do, and that's the issue. Now, g- granted, I think twenty percent of the clients I deal with are narcissistic. So I mean that's the only way I would know this is if I had gone in, and that's the other part of your to your earlier question. How did I learn about this? I'm like this, I would they would leave my sessions and I would feel depleted, invalidated, dehumanized. And then one day your therapist bulb has to go up over your head and say, If I feel this way with them, everybody feels this way with them. There's something special about me. And so I then was able to learn how difficult it is to change them. So this isn't speculation. This is decades spent in rooms with these kinds of clients and seeing that we might, and listen, I actually really enjoy them as clients. I think a lot of them have tough backstories, very compassionate with them, but I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm so glad this isn't my parent or my partner. Like this would be mm-hmm. intolerable, you know? So I, I having, it's almost like I've gone into the belly of the beast and I get it. And again, I adore those clients, but they're not really made for healthy relationships. And so, uh, yes, I, am, but I would say the majority, three-quarters of my practice is dealing with people who are survivors of these patterns.
0: But like well, Allison said, it's hard, to, it's hard to change if you are a narcissist?
2: It's very hard to change because, number one, you know, it's like the old joke about the light bulb. You know, how many psychologists have change a light bulb? You know, one, but it has to want to change. It's exactly <laughs> that. They're very less likely. They're not likely to want to change because if I walked around the world thinking I was all that and there's nothing wrong with me and, and I was so insecure that if somebody talked to me about things like emotion and vulnerability, that I almost had contempt for that because I'm like, oh, you're not going there with me because I'm insecure. I would reject the entire therapy process out of hand. And that's really what happens. And it's very difficult to get someone narcissistic to go into therapy. And when they do, it's usually because things aren't going well in their life. A partner may be threatening divorce or may have lost them or someone's broken up with them. They're having problems at work. Uh, someone threatened a lawsuit against them. They're not making as much money as they want. So it's all the things, the things that get them into therapy are the things that threaten their narcissistic insecurity. But what they often don't do then is take responsibility. They come and say, my wife is such a bad person. My coworker is such a bad person. My business partner is such a bad person. And they expect you to sit there and enable them instead of what I would want to do with them, which is help them take responsibility for their part in this mess, while at the same time, trying to unearth what are the decent things about them. So their blindness to even wanting to change, if you don't want to change, why would you change? You know, so they don't think there's anything wrong with them. They think everyone else is to blame. They project and deflect responsibility on everyone else. That's not my fault. That's your fault. Anyone who's ever had an argument, The narcissist knows what that feels like. Yep, I'm not responsible. That's not my fault. That's your fault. And actually, you also did this, this, and this. And so everything is so manipulative. Everything is so projected back on you that they do not see the need to take responsibility. And I'll be frank with you, even in clients, even in clients who are narcissistic and finally said, okay, I get what you're telling me. I understand my part in it. They actually get that far. And to me, that's like 23 miles into the marathon. Then they will turn around and and they'll say, so what do I need to do? I'll say, it's very simple. You have to be very present and very mindful. You have to be very self-aware and be aware of how you impact other people. Be willing to openly listen to other people's feelings and vulnerabilities and support them. And I've had more than a few narcissists turn to me and say, that's the deal. That's what I have to do. And I said, yeah, they're like, absolutely not that is a waste of my time. I have nothing but contempt for their friends. I don't care. They looked at me and said, I don't care. So they said, mm-hmm. I don't want to play act for my whole life. I want to be authentic. And I said, so if your authentic self is going out and antagonizing people in there, and it was more that their authentic self is like, they just had contempt for emotion and vulnerability and the ultra deep dive they were going to need to do, which is something they didn't want to put the time into. And, and, and some of them said, you know what? I'm not, I'm just, I'm going to leave my relationship. I'm not going to get into any more relationships. I'm done. Like, and they were honest. They're like, I don't want to hurt other people, but I also don't want to care about their feelings. You see what I'm saying? So what's the win here?
0: Yeah. I have this thing that I posted on one time that was called the narcissist prayer. And it was like, the narcissist Yeah, I've, heard, I've read
2: it. Yeah. That didn't
0: happen. Mm-hmm. If it did, it wasn't that bad. If it yeah. was, it's not uh-huh. a big deal. If it is, that's uh-huh. not my fault. If it was, I didn't mean it. And if I did mean it, you deserved it. And I was like, Yep. Ah! Yeah.
1: Oh
0: my god. <laughs> that's it.
2: It's perfect. I love the narcissist prayer. Whoever that's credited to, it's genius because that's pretty much it in a nutshell. And I think a lot of people hurt themselves even more. They're like, now that I know this, now that I know they're a narcissist, I'm going to march right up to them and say, I get this. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. That is the last thing you want to do. And so... It is at that point I tell people once we've become aware that this is the pattern you're being exposed to. Now it's about setting boundaries and distance and all of that that protect you. And then you need to decide whether you're going to stay in this relationship or whether you're going to get out of this relationship. That's that's on the person, you know. Because I would say 50% of the clients I work with stay in the relationship. 50% of them leave. So anyone listening right now and saying, "Oh gosh, I feel like I'm a loser because I'm staying in this relationship," you're absolutely not. You're a coin flip. It's 50. 50. I think though, if you know what you're dealing with and stop going into that relationship thinking you're going to get things you want, it would be like me going to Home Depot and think, oh, I'm going to buy a diamond necklace. Probably not the right place to do it. A narcissist is not the place you're going to go for empathy, warmth, compassion, and kindness. Like That's not what that store sells. And some people have had to do a really deep dive and finally say, you know, I actually, yeah, I like my lifestyle. My husband has money or my wife has the, you know, control, or if I'm, I'm sorry, my wife has fame, or my my parents give me lots of money, or support me, or whatever the thing is. I'm like, I'm fine with that. You want to stay because you have a private jet. That's you. I get that. Like, I don't get that, but I could get that. And but the fact is, though, what you don't get is a version of this story where your narcissistic partner, parent, whomever it is, is gonna do turn around now that you get it. Now you get it. You can't unsee it. And that's one of the hardest things of all, because then people go out with that new insight and they're like, oh my God, this is really a thing. And it really is all adding up. And that's a hard day because then people have to wake up because narcissistic relationships stay in place because of hope, because of fear, and because of guilt. Well, I take away the hope, leaving them just with fear and guilt, and they can figure that out.
1: What are some tips that you give to people who are, you know, are in continuous relationships with a narcissist?
2: I, I, the number one piece of guidance I give them is don't engage. You know, don't engage with this person because they're gonna shoot you down. They're not gonna show empathy. They may very well make fun of you and I can guarantee you they're not interested. So that really goes to the most important piece of guidance, which is you have to have Realistic expectations in these relationships. You must manage your expectations. So, if you know they're always going to lie, they're always going to manipulate, they're always going to be contemptuous, they're always going to be critical, you're not surprised when it happens. It's kind of like, you know, if my cat meowed, I'd be like, okay. And it's, you know, it's, it's Wednesday or whatever it is. You know, it's like, it is what it is. It's a cat. But if, my cat if my cat started talking, I'd be surprised. You know, so the fact is that when the narcissist is being invalidating and negating and emotionally abusive, that's what they're supposed to do. Not supposed to in a good way, that's what they do. So to be surprised and devastated by that, to me, is like, are you not listening? Again, it would be like, you're waiting for the sun to rise in the West. It's not going to happen. And so I think that by managing your expectations and not engaging It's a very, very unfulfilling relationship, but it can definitely ratchet down some of the abusiveness because you're no longer going to that relationship expecting it to be something it's not. So it really boils down to radical acceptance. This is it. Take it or leave it. Mm
1: -hmm. What would you say to a parent who sees some narcissistic tendencies in their kid? Do you think that there's a a time and place where you could maybe intervene before it becomes too, you know, deep set in their personality.
2: So I think with, with children we want to be very careful. In some ways, children come into the world quite narcissistic in the sense that the child has to be completely tuned into its own needs. And then over time they learn things like empathy and awareness of others and all of that. We also know, and this is why I always tell parents, in in adolescence you want to be very careful. Adolescents are jerks and I say this as the mother of two adolescents. And so they're jerks. They're very selfish. They don't think things through. They're very impulsive. They do what they want. And the main thing we got to remember about adolescents is their jerkiness happens for a reason. They're learning to become autonomous and independent. And part of that jerkiness is like, you know, listen, I'm a grown up. Leave me alone. And so they test limits and they test boundaries. So you love, you love them jerkiness and all. So that's what adolescence is. And so a lot of parents get anxious when their sixteen or seventeen or eighteen year old seems to very much be emulating all the traits of narcissism that they've read about, that the the child doesn't seem to care about anyone else, they leave a mess, whatever it is. I always often tell them there's a bit of a wait and see before you use the almighty narcissism word. And I always say, you don't even get to start thinking about using it until they're somewhere between probably 25 and 30, because around that time, not only is our personality probably fully, you know, hardened, our frontal lobe is no longer still developing. Like by then our decision-making and inhibition, all that's done. That said, A lot of people do say, I am actually worried because my co-parent or my spouse is a narcissist. And I'm really afraid my child is learning from their behavior, how badly they treat other people, how entitled they are, how dismissive they are, how cold and abrupt and greedy and selfish and all the things they are. They have genuine concerns about that. And those concerns are real. And I understand that because kids learn things by watching other people. So if you've got the parent who's always yelling at the soccer coach, or you've got the parent who always cuts to the front the line, or says, hey, hey, nudge, nudge, don't you worry, I'm going to get you into Harvard, you're definitely setting up a kid that's going to end up being very entitled. If you're the healthy parent in that situation, and to any parent out there, I would say our single most important job with our parents, above all, forget reading, writing, all of that, is empathy. It's teaching our children How to be empathic children, empathic adolescents, and then into an empathic adulthood. That's what I think is the most important thing. And how do we do that? We, I mean, all the things we do. We love them unconditionally. We we attend to their feelings. We, you know, we strongly suggest that they attend to other feelings, other people's feelings. We play board games with them and understand that sometimes, hey, sometimes you lose. It doesn't feel good. We teach them how to regulate their emotions. We need to be present and aware parents and we need to be real stewards of their emotions. Like we I think one of the biggest mistakes a lot of parents make is we're so concerned with achievement oriented oriented stuff and did you do this and you're going there and did you do this activity is that we forget about how important it is that we teach our children to be good with their emotions, like give them practice in expressing them and talking about them and never judge them. And we see this it goes far, it's far harder for boys. Boys and then into, into men are often taught to silence their emotions, to not express them. And that is a lot of where this is sort of the discourse about toxic masculinity comes from, right? If little boys who, if you've ever watched a two or three year old boy, they're absolutely beautiful at talking about their emotions. And then something happens, the world starts judging that boys don't cry and all. it's the worst thing we could do. So as parents, you're not just teaching them how to speak the language of your home. You're teaching them to speak the language of emotion.
0: Oh, that was so beautiful.
1: <laughs> now I'm less afraid to have boys. <laughs> Yeah. Oh boy! Anyone who has, there is a parent
2: of a boy, like this, is such a wonderful opportunity to create these men who are comfortable with their emotions and can express them and not be afraid of them and be okay with their own vulnerability and other people's. I mean, those are those are our magic men, you know. And mm-hmm. there, and so many boys and men got that squeezed out of them by parents, teachers, coaches, society. You know, we still, we still berate boys to this day. I see it happen in parks and this and that, where I see people with children and they'll berate their boy for not, for showing emotion, but they won't do the same with a girl. And I mean, at those times, I literally will get tears in my eyes. So I think what a disservice they're doing is that that child is just getting in possession of their emotion. And God forbid that poor boy has a narcissistic dad. He will likely shame his son for having emotion.
1: Mm -hmm. Can we talk a little bit about our president? (laughs)
2: Okay,
1: I'll I'll take that because very few people, yeah, it's funny.
2: Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. We don't even have to go partisan with this, right? Right. I, you know, we don't. We can talk about him as a clinical specimen, as though like Mm -hmm. you were studying a butterfly or something like that. The patterns he shows. The lack of empathy, the entitlement, the rules don't apply to me, the superficiality, the validation seeking tell me I'm wonderful, tell me I'm wonderful, the manipulativeness, the gaslighting that never happened. I never said that. I mean, listen, you could be a, a student in my intro psych class and you'd get that one. You know, now that is, you know, is he the first narcissistic president? Not by a long shot. I would say that the rates of narcissism in presidents is going to be higher than most other groups because narcissists are overrepresented in leaders because it's mm-hmm. important important for them. They want to be the leaders. They want to be the bosses. They get validation from that. They like the power. They like the control. That doesn't mean all leaders are narcissistic, not by a long shot, but you're going to see more in leadership than you might see in other positions. And so, you know, the patterns we're seeing in him, particularly in the face of what's been going on in the pandemic, you know, which has really been his singular focus on, I got to make sure I look good. In the midst of really, what is a a calamity? Is a um, that's that's where these patterns get dangerous. On an ordinary day, when he's just talking and look how wonderful I am, look how wonderful I am, you can turn off the TV. But now these decisions are affecting people, and this is when you can see when the pressure is on. The narcissist selfishness, lack of self-reflective capacity, inability to account for other people, and their need for validation can get in the way of them making good decisions.
1: Well, I've been saying for a while that to expect him to behave normally, or to expect no, him yeah, to no, be, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Never, like because he never has. He's always right. been this person. And so, no, like, he never to has. be like, oh, if I can just reason with him, like he will never respond <laughs> to that. I, I consider him to be mentally ill. Like, I think he has full blown narcissistic personality disorder. Where, like. It's, and I,
2: again, it's because life. I'm a psychologist, I'm not allowed to diagnose. I've never met the man, you know, and um, so I, you know, I also, can Also, I, I can't feel like him.
0: that's, uh, look, that's, uh, uh, I, I take issue with that as a mentally ill person. I don't want him. <laughs> can, right. I don't right. want to be him in our representation. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I, I don't disagree.
2: <laughs> I don't disagree. I don't disagree. But I really do feel like, you know, that he he is really an archetype of what all these patterns look like. And you know what? If people could just recognize that, but they won't and they do right. keep trying to reason with him. And if I have to read one more journalist giving one more analysis of Trump's behavior, I, I'm actually I'm done. Like, I can't I, I don't do, I stopped reading them years ago. I'm like, this is a teaching case. And I'm very careful as a professor. And you know, obviously, I don't want to be partisan. But it's it's really it's silly at this point. You know, there's no reasoning. We've seen this over and over and over again. And like, so we take that story of the president and now bring it into someone's individual life. In fact, for me, when I wrote my third book, Don't You Know Who I Am, the book that just came out last year, I will be honest, it was what was happening in the world, not just the election, but elections around the world, patterns that were happening in the world. I got so upset and so angry. I was actually starting to get sick. And then somebody dear to me said, you love to write, write. Maybe that's the only way you're going to let this go. And that's really where that book came from. It's like, this is a, what's happening in the world, the president's going to do what the president does. I got nothing to say about it. All I can do is vote the way I want to vote, right? But the fact is what was happening in the White House, in the world and in numerous world governments is happening in everyone's individual lives where you can't reason with them. You can't explain things to them. They don't listen to reason. They do what they want. They don't follow the rules. That's what people go through in narcissistic relationships every single day.
0: Is it possible to be a celebrity or a politician and not be narcissistic?
2: I'm sure there's some out there. I mean, I hate to see it, but politics is really getting top loaded with a lot of narcissistic people. And I think it's Uh just because it's become such a disgusting space of how people, what people have to go through to get elected. And, you know, I don't Mm -hmm. don't think anyone sane would want to put themselves through that, right? They'd find Mm -hmm. other ways to enact the change they want. Is it overrepresented? Absolutely. You're, yes. But are there celebrities out there who are not narcissistic? Absolutely. I think more of them are not narcissistic than are, to be frank oh. with you. But I think when you compare them to the normal population, like just us regular folks walking around, obviously, if you were to like sort of throw a dart at a group of uh, celebrities, you're much more likely to hit a narcissist than if you threw a dart at a group of ordinary people, for sure. I mean, because let's face it. Once again, to live under that level of scrutiny. And so I think most people would say, I wouldn't want that many people caring about my life. That would make me uncomfortable. Who cares if I wouldn't get the validation? Celebrities love the validation. They love the power. They So many things go with that, that they're willing to even endure people saying terrible things about them or following them around or all of that. But there is something about that space the validation seeking, the need for that, because it, otherwise you'd get out of the game. I mean, it just wouldn't be worth it. You, or if you love mm-hmm. to act so much, you'd go work in a small community theater in a small town. It's so not just about <laughs> acting. Right. Yeah.
1: Can you speak a little bit about gaslighting and how, how that's mm-hmm. one of the narcissist's favorite tools?
2: Yeah, gaslighting is, is probably the, the narcissist their very favorite tool. And gaslighting is, it's a form of manipulation whereby a person challenges your reality. So they, they challenge it and they actually deny your reality. They'll say things like, that never happened. You have no right to feel that way. I never said that. Um, and then what they'll do is they'll move the goalposts a lot. They'll say, I didn't say this, I said that. And you're so confused. People who are being gaslighted are just confused. Because basically the core of gaslighting is, I never said that, that never happened. And you're staring at your phone and there's the text The text, Mm -hmm. that's literally the thing they said. And I say to people, one of the true signs during a narcissistic relationship is in arguments, you're always wanting to put your cell phone in their face and saying, look, see, Mm -hmm. or you start feeling that you want to record conversations. You start turning your voice recording on just so you can play it later so you Mm -hmm. don't feel crazy. Even though it's not of any use to anyone, but you're like, I am not crazy. And then you'll want to play it back for them or show them the text. And you know what the narcissist will do when you play back the recording or show them the text and say, look, that is what you said. They will say, you are so petty. Is that what this is about now? That you have mm-hmm. to go back to old text messages and record conversations. You must be paranoid. And they just mm-hmm. gaslighted you again.
1: Or like, how dare you take over my privacy or invade my privacy?
0: Or even worse, they'll be like, well, I didn't mean it that way. Like, you're taking it out of context. Oh
1: Exactly.
2: They'll say things like, I'm just venting. Um, oh, you, you always overblow everything. You, yeah. Or my favorite is, my favorite one is, oh, you know me. That's just how I am. Once again, it's the denial of your reality. Rather than taking responsibility and saying, you know, That was wrong. I should not have said that. That was inappropriate. I was out of line. Nope. That's just how I am. Or again, you're paranoid. They'll call you. You're mentally ill. There's something wrong with you. You might want to get help. And all of that is gaslighting. And if a person does it to you and you don't know it's a thing, they can very, very quickly start getting sort of psychological control over you because you're you're just saying, oh, did I say that? Maybe I didn't say that. Because most people will second guess themselves and say, well, maybe I didn't. They're so insistent that I didn't. That maybe I didn't say that, or maybe they didn't say that. And that's what I'm saying. You go back to the text messages, and that's the day for a lot of people in their relationship with a narcissist, the pit starts to form in their stomach. Because they're saying, no, they really did say this, and they're just lying to my face. And then they'll show it to them, and then this whole second cascade of gaslighting will begin. But it's, it's all kinds of things. You know, it's, it's not just that I didn't say that. There's so many ways they'll say, there must be something wrong with you. You're too sensitive. You know, those mm-hmm. kinds of things are all gaslighting statements. And so now a person sort of feels the first thing they'll often say is, maybe I am too sensitive. Or they'll start second guessing themselves and saying, maybe I am paranoid. And before you know it, you've actually really stepped into the spider's web.
0: There's also a thing as, like, even if you don't understand why someone is upset or you don't understand why what you said hurt their feelings, the recognition of, like, this hurt their feelings. So, I don't understand why they're upset, but I'm sorry. I'm sure I did say that. As a human, the missing piece, I think, in all this is, like, the thing of, you know what? I don't know why this upset you so much. This is whatever, quote, unquote, the way I am. I'm truly sorry. And I think, like, I'm sorry is a thing that narcissists don't understand.
2: Well, they they apologize all the time. Narcissists apologize, apologize, apologize. They just don't mean it. They apologize. So they can keep the trains running on time. Like okay, they're like, okay, somewhere along the line told me this I'm sorry thing gets me you know, off the hook. And then enough people are foolish enough to accept it, right? So these aren't real apologies. Real apologies in the real world translate into behavior change. Mm-hmm. I don't. You can say I'm sorry to the blue in the face. You can send a text. I'm sorry. I don't care. If this doesn't happen again, then clearly you were sorry. Mm-hmm. But if you do it again, which they always do, then no, they weren't sorry. And they actually kind of don't care about your feelings, number two. And number three, for them to admit they did something quote unquote wrong is really hard for them because it starts threatening their fragile self-esteem. And so they don't like that. They don't like the idea that they're actually the bad boy or the bad girl, that they did not behave well. Like they're almost like a little kid that will blame it all on their little brother or sister because they're so concerned about getting that label.
1: Is it rare for two narcissists to be in a relationship together?
2: No, it's not rare at all. They're actually quite attracted to each other in some ways, right? Because they're often, you know, think of your classical grandiose narcissist, right? They're Mm -hmm. both, they both care about what they look like. They both care desperately about their Instagram. They both care about you know what they carry, what they wear, where they go. So they're often very drawn to each other because they're both kind of playing the same superficial, validating, you know, um, validate validation seeking and sort of empty relationship kind of paradigm. So it actually initially works well, especially in the love bombing stage, where there's lots of fun and dinners out and travel and fancy, 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 and everyone's like, "Oh my gosh, your life is so great!" So they love that phase together. The problem becomes that once they settle in, because I've never met two human beings in a relationship whose lives are walking in lockstep, meaning that their their accomplishments are the same and things that are happening them to them the same way and so on and so forth. And then all of the other narcissistic issues come in like hypersensitivity and jealousy and competitiveness and frankly, boredom. Someone's always going to get bored with the other first. And because narcissists mm. are always looking for new supply. They're the ones who put the flirty comment on social media or sort of do these sort of micro cheat things with a coworker and narcissists are very jealous because they're so insecure, right? So then they sense that's happening. They feel like their narcissistic supply is going away. It's like World War Ten. But in some ways I kind of wish they're the one they would all hook up with each other to yeah, keep them away from I was everyone thinking else. That. But but we don't want them to have kids. See that's the problem. If they have kids, they'll um, ruin them.
1: Ugh, oh, that's terrifying. I guess so before we move on to the game show portion, uh, I I really liked what you said about like choosing what's right for you, right? If if you are in a Mm -hmm. relationship with a narcissist. Um, Can you just speak like a little bit more to that if someone Mm -hmm. is like on the fence about what they should do?
2: Here's the rub. When you're in a relationship, there's a lot of reasons. You're in it, you got into it, you stay in it, right? And I've met many people out there, even once they've gotten the education, this is narcissism, it's not really likely to change, it's always going to be a relatively invalidating space, they're often going to project blame, blah, blah, blah. The whole usual list is that some people will say, I can't afford to leave this relationship. I can't. Mm -hmm. I don't have job skills that allow me to leave. It is a huge violation in my culture, in my religion. Mm -hmm. My family won't want anything to do with me. And the biggest reason a lot of people stay, particularly when it's a couple, is because they have kids. And the Mm -hmm. thought of the narcissist part-time, even if it's just part-time or half the time, raising that kid, Mm -hmm. it's huge for them. They're like to heck with it. I am going to suffer this relationship just Mm -hmm. so I'm with my kids. 24-7. 24-7. Yep. So it's, and that's it's a tough way to grow up. It's a tough way to grow up because now this poor kid is also with a narcissistic parent 24-7. It's almost like one of those biblical decisions where there's no right way to turn. I, I feel from in my position as a therapist, and frankly, as a human being, I have no right to judge those kinds of choices in a person's life. Like That's their decision. And so my job is then to support them. And then I work with them on things like realistic expectations and radical acceptance. What I will not sign off on, is a person staying in one of these relationships, even if it's one of those reasons, kids, money, and everything, and then maintaining hope that this is going to get better. That option's Mm. off the table. I need Mm. you to be realistic about how empty and really problematic this relationship is and for you to be eyes wide open on why you're staying. Listen, I've known people who showed up, they'd go to the court. Like, I'm literally at 8 a.m. when it opens on the day their youngest kid turns 18. Like, they are there and they file that day because there's no longer a custody issue. You know what I'm saying? So, it is a very, to me, it is very, people have their reasons, but you better be eyes wide open on why you're staying in this relationship. And when it's not all that, let's say it's somebody where you don't have kids and shared finances. Like, for example, you might be on the verge of getting married. That's where I see a lot of people make the mistake too. They feel like, oh my gosh, I got a ring on it. And my friends are all getting married and yeah, it's not perfect, but, and then they think somehow in no planet ever in history has anyone found getting married makes a relationship better or having a kid makes a relationship better. Those two things probably turned itself.
1: But that that's why what you're doing is so important so that people are better at recognizing these signs yeah. and so that they can yeah. go into these relationships mm-hmm. with their eyes wide open, open. and then decide yeah. what kind of life they want to have.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So that's my hope is that people can catch it. But even then people get stuck to like, This is my chance to get married. This Mm -hmm. is my chance to do what my parents want. This is my chance to become a parent. You can understand how that's compelling to someone. And I've seen in many, many, many cases, it is for that reason people didn't leave and they stuck it out. And obviously, you know, that story does not have a happy ending.
1: But hopefully more stories moving forward, Will. I sure hope so. Because we can maintain hope. (laughs) Yes, Uh, yes. Would you like to play a very silly game show? Love it. Love it. (laughs) Great. So this is called Hypotheticals. You and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to ask a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask as many questions as you want, and then you tell me what you would do, and I just decide if I like your answer. (laughs) I think she's
0: going to be so good at these. I'm intimidated. Mm. I know. I'm very excited. I don't know about that. No, you will be. Okay. So our first game is, would you stay with this flirter?
1: Oh. A little change. While at a house party, you see your spouse of 15 years flirting with someone else. When you confront them about it, they adamantly deny it and accuse you of cheating on them and projecting. Would you stay with this flirter? To be fair, you are cheating on them.
2: <laughs> oh, you are? Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. Okay. Oh so, would I stay? Uh huh. I mean, the relationship's not working so i would leave because the relationship's not working.
0: Just because you're cheating? I'm cheating, yeah. First of all, Allison, uh-huh. how dare how dare you rip this from the headlines? <laughs> how dare you take my life story? Wow, fuck you. Early 20s Gabby says fuck you. Uh, yeah, you got to go. You got to go. Yeah, I gotta it's go. so bad. Yeah. It's so toxic. Yeah. You got to go. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly, uh,
2: you nailed it. It's so toxic. And actually more because I'm cheating. So that's just not, to toxic. me, that's just a terrible thing. Yeah, toxic, yeah.
0: Well, you
1: made the right decision, but unfortunately they were your soulmate. Okay, stop. How could this no, person they be your soulmate? They weren't. They can't be. No, you have to do some self-work. And that's, you know, you're misbehaving with the cheating, but they're really your soulmate.
0: Nope. I, I, yeah. I say no. I'm in no, charge do, I'm of no, this. No, I'm in charge of this fake reality.
1: Nope.
2: Yeah, I no. I'm going with
1: no. Ugh, oh, fine. You both win. Yay! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Our next game, are you a terrible parent? Yes. I, suspect- I mean, they
2: don't have to ask me. Okay, go ahead, <laughs>
1: <laughs> You suspect that your 12-year-old son is a psychopath with a thirst for blood. Damn. So you teach him a series of rules that involve him only killing serial killers this who is really Dexter! deserve it. Are Dexter! you a terrible parent? FYI, this is the plot of Dexter
2: Oh my god Because I never watched Dexter So that makes this trickier Does this psychopath child Harm anyone Or animals Or property Or anything?
1: No, just kill other serial killers They're 12 and they've been harming animals
2: Yeah, I would get my kid Like a ton of residential mental health care
1: But would you do this plan Where you teach them to kill serial killers And get away with it? No No, because I would say that, sorry, because I would say
2: that I wouldn't, I can't foretell the future. Mm. And in the process of teaching them to kill serial killers, they may also harm animals, other children, other adults and property. I'm not willing to take that risk.
0: Oh man. But the plot of Dexter is so good. Uh, uh, Yeah, yeah, I think you're a terrible parent. Sorry, Dexter.
2: Yeah, sorry (laughs) about that. Yeah.
0: If you watch Dexter though,
1: I think it worked out. (laughs)
2: <laughs> it worked out, but I'm saying it's like taking a bet, right? It's like taking yeah. a bet. If I do this, will this turn out? Mm, yeah, no, a little too risky because other people could have been harmed too. So that's a risk I'm never willing to take.
0: Oh my God. If, if my kid was like a psychopath kid, I'd be so curious about nature versus nurture. Like, did I do this? Yeah. Could I maybe get yeah. rid of this? I would want, it would be so hard not to do the experiment of like, maybe I could fix this. Which is yeah, a problem no, in a lot exp- of my relationships, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, no,
2: that's, that's, I would not, you know, first of all, yeah, stop trying, never try to fix
0: because mm-hmm. it's
2: a, especially this pattern, you know, we, it actually has a name, like when a, a child under the age of 15 is doing all these kinds of, th- these kinds of, you know, antisocial, illegal, or unethical behaviors, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's called conduct disorder. And conduct disorder in many, many cases turns into what's called antisocial personality disorder, which is what we sort of equate with psychopathy. So yeah, no, that's that's definitely not a bet I'd be willing to take. Mm. I
1: literally just took a final about all of that on, on Tuesday night. <laughs>
2: Good. I hope you, got, I hope you so did well. so fascinating.
1: Yeah, there's like a pattern where you start as like a younger kid with yeah, ODD, yeah, oppositional mm-hmm. defiant disorder. Exactly. And then a lot of times that becomes conduct, conduct disorder, disorder yeah. which becomes yeah. uh, oh, the okay. antisocial. Oh, okay. Two
0: professionals over here. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, yeah. well.
1: But it is interesting that the earlier that they show the signs, the more likely it is that it'll become. Yes. exactly exactly
2: yes and that that more of that nature versus nurture yeah
1: all right well our final our final game is are they an alien or just rude while checking out at trader joe's the cashier asks how you are you say i'm good thanks they reply that's a bold-faced lie you're clearly unhappy and unfulfilled with little to look forward to every day Mm. would you like a bag (laughs) are they an alien or just rude i don't think they're either what are they? If
2: there's a possible third interpretation there that they may actually be an astute observer. Maybe I say I'm fine, but they could see that there were the leftover bits of tears on my cheek, or I look very sad, or I look unkempt, or something like that, where I'm not okay. Now, I think they were probably overreaching a little bit about like you know, negating my life, but they may have noticed that I actually wasn't doing okay. So I'm going to put them, definitely not an alien, but maybe rude astute, if there could be a third because- answer
0: you can say, are you sure? Are you okay? Rather than being like, your life is shit. And I, agree. It is, and
2: <laughs> I agree. I agree. I agree. I think it's intrusive. You know, it's definitely intrusive. And that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's definitely in the neighborhood of rude for sure. If those are my only choices, definitely not an alien. I would say rudish.
1: Well, unfortunately it was an alien <gasps> who can mind read. Oh my God, so that's really sad oh, about my cool. life then.
0: That's so sad about my and they life. they don't have social
1: skills because they're an alien.
0: Are they willing to help me fix it with their alien powers? No, they're busy. Yeah. They're working. <laughs> oh, what a bummer. So they can just <laughs> say what's going on, but then they're like, I, now I got to back out. I can't help you. Well, they're, they've got a long line. interesting time. power. Popular. It's popular.
2: Well, you know what though? We also do see this alien power though. And some people, they have like, they're uninhibited enough that they will literally say what they, what they think and what they believe without thinking about the ramifications or they just don't know the social cues enough. So they'll mm-hmm. just that say what me. they think or feel about something and they don't, and, and you know, Yeah, exactly, and I think that in some cases it's like it's so hard because there's such a beauty to that honesty, and obviously, but we also have to protect other people. The rule, the world does have rules of order, and as a kid, if you did that, I could imagine some people weren't always very nice to you about it, and that's hurtful too. So, yeah, I had to go to social skills class. Yeah, see, see, yeah, exactly. So, uh, alien, yeah, maybe. I mean, I think we all imagine if we all had thought bubbles over our heads. Would it always showed what we were thinking. I mean, no one would ever speak to anyone again. We'd be socially distanced forever. So, people be would
0: be telling me like sad stories, and I'd just be like, play, you just it's just do a lipa in my head all day, right?
2: Or you'd be like, why, what were you thinking when you left the house in those sweatpants? Or you might, you know, you ah! <laughs> might uh, want to, you know, or you're very superficial or you seem like a narcissist. That would be my mm-hmm. thought bubbles. So, yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah, your thought bubble is just always narcissist, not narcissist. Narcissist, narcissist. yeah. Oh, so I narcissist. could just wear that. Wear a hat. I could wear a wow. hat that says so that. That would be great. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining Thank us. Where you. can people find more pleasure. of your work?
2: So you can find me at my website, drramani.com, and it's all spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R-R-A-M-A-N-I.com. If you go to my website, you'll pretty much find a clearinghouse of everything you need to know. And on my YouTube, we're now, these days we're posting every day, lots of great content on narcissism, and that's at drromani, D-O-C-T-O-R-R-A-M-A-N-I. And it's the same with all my social media and all of that. You can find me in all of those places and more about my books there as well.
1: Thank you so much. This was so helpful. Thank I think you. A lot of people didn't realize they needed to talk about this. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. No, they don't. They don't. I agree.
1: Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about body hair.
0: back to just between us it's time for to x x, 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 x x baby bye bye and truly xxx x, x, but not really but we are talking about the bod so the bod and bathing suit parts
1: of the bod that's how i like to refer to private parts as the bathing the we-
0: bathing suit part yeah that's
1: how they teach little kids <laughs>
0: That's so weird because I wear one of those 1950s uh, strongman bathing suits. So you could say my thighs are my bathing suit. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, But I would wear one of those. Yeah, why not? Uh, So why did you want to talk about this? Well, because I think that like body hair is
1: both a deeply personal choice and also has become a very political choice in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah. Let me just say that since quarantine – Like, I'm never going back to shaving my legs. My legs are (laughs) what they are, baby. They're done. It's gone back to the way that nature intended. Um, And I actually, like, kind of like it. And I think if I did shave my legs, I would be very jarred. Underarms, not shaving again. Totally fine. Like, it's made me realize what I was doing for other people and also how unnecessary it was, like, to my daily life. It doesn't affect anything. I don't look any better or worse than I did already.
1: Well, it's interesting because for me, I've completely maintained everything and I feel like I do it for me. Like I physically don't like the feeling of like hair on my legs and I just like the smoothness and like it's very much like a for me decision where in the past I would become so nervous that anyone would be able to feel any hair on my body. Really? (laughs) Because I've been shaving my arms since I was like 12 or something, yeah. I like nared them at like sleepaway camp and then Aww. had to like keep it going. But,
0: uh, oh, I would use Nair. I nared my legs. I, oh, yeah. I nared,
1: yeah, tried I nared it all. my
0: mustache. Yeah, I did all of it. I've done everything other than laser. I'm too afraid of laser. The one thing that I have shaved is my mustache. Sometimes I let it grow and it's like It's visible. And then other times uh, I shave it mostly because my partner is on testosterone and their mustache is not as strong as mine and I feel bad. (laughs) I feel like their sister has sideburns, but the sister is a a cis woman and and the sister is like very upset about the sideburns and uh, Mal will be like, oh my God, your sideburns look amazing. And the sister will be like, I don't want them. That is not (laughs) what you say to me. So it's a fascinating thing that there I'm with someone who's like trying so hard to grow body hair and it's like an accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm like, okay, well, I can't have a better mustache than them. That's fucked up. So I have to get rid of it. So you just,
1: <laughs> you just shave it, but then doesn't it grow back so fast?
0: Yeah, it does. But it's like two seconds. I just take the razor and go doop, 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 done. So you do it so, like every day? No. Sometimes I just let it grow. Sometimes I like it. Sometimes I let it grow and I like see it in pictures and I'm like, ha ha. It's like funny to me.
1: <laughs> I, that's the one area of my body I've never touched. I've never attempted to get rid of my little mustache hairs because I've been too afraid that if I do it, then I'll have to keep doing it and then it will become a whole thing. So I have just like left, left them untouched.
0: I've cut my face. Yeah, I would yeah. cut my face absolutely.
1: Do you get it waxed though? No, I do nothing. I've never done anything to it. So you just don't have a mustache? I do in certain lights
0: Wow. Fascinating. I kind of
1: like,
0: I kind of like my mustache. I don't
1: like it, but I just pretend it's not there.
0: <laughs> There's a girl that I just started following on Twitter who's like a fan, I guess. And uh, uh, she tweeted at me. She She's a, a cis woman, um, but she's chosen to grow out her beard because it just grows naturally. And I was like, that's cool. Like, I actually really like that. But it's so radical. That's what's so crazy. It's just like how radical
1: it is, even though it's just what her body does naturally.
0: Exactly. Like, that's so wild. And then there's like all these my partners on all these forums for like men trying to grow beards, which sometimes it's trans men and then sometimes it's just cis men who can't grow a beard. Mm -hmm. So it's all these things of like how to put Rogan on your face and like all this kind of stuff. It's so ridiculous that my friend Drew is getting laser to get rid of her beard because uh, she's a trans woman. And my partner is putting Rogaine on their face to grow a beard. Like, why? What is society?
1: <laughs> well, we have just super gendered body hair. So like, it's wild. like a very strong signal of like what gender you associate with, or at least people think that it is.
0: Yeah, it's really wild. Uh, since like 2015 20- 16 when i would post on instagram and you could see my underarms and they were shaved there's always somebody in the comments who's like i thought you were a feminist (laughs) but that's what i
1: mean it's so politicized so i'm here being like is it weird that i like shaving my body hair does that mean i'm not a feminist but fuck it i can do whatever i want it's my body and it feels nice to me
0: you know i was looking this up uh and it's like basically, the beauty industry convinced women to shave. We mm-hmm. never did In, until 1920. We never did. But part of that was that
1: the fashion didn't show women's legs or really. So it was yeah, like or
0: women's armpits, but like your your quote unquote like lovers and and husbands saw it. You know. Yeah, but like um, I think
1: it was this idea of like it being publicly seen. So like as like hemlines got shorter and stuff, and like as it was more exposed, and women wanted to shave. Which is interesting.
0: I mean, well, sort of. I mean, it's wanted question mark because all these ads started appearing that are like, what can we make people feel insecure about so we can sell things? Totally. And so they just started like doing all the shaving stuff. And I remember there was some story that I read where they were uh, during World War II, all the men were away. And so they weren't shaving and so need to sell they the needed to sell the razors and they were like, who else can we market to? And they were like, women. And then they were like, well, what should we tell women they need to shave? Cause they don't have facial hair. And then it was like, we'll tell them to shave their legs and their underarms. And then they kept selling razors and now they sell pink razors that are for women and blue razors that are for men. And it's like, oh my God, everything that we've been sold is just like, it's crazy. It's just like, it's all marketing. And then the feminine
1: tax of like, it's those razors are more expensive because they're pink.
0: Yeah. Like, I guess the idea is that people think it's more hygienic, but it truly, if you're wearing deodorant, like, it doesn't matter. Oh, I was like, why is it more hygienic on your legs? You mean your armpits? Yeah. Well, also people think it's more hygienic on your legs, I guess. I don't know. I've not noticed any difference in the quality of my life. Other than, like, I don't have to shave, which is amazing. Does Mal have an opinion about it? No, Mal doesn't care. I mean, the only thing that I, like, trim as a courtesy is, like, the the pubes. Because I feel like that's, a, that's not about me. That's a courtesy, you know? <laughs> Sometimes in a bathing suit.
1: Yeah. Well, I used to get, like, Brazilian's but obviously the pandemic is happening and they're so fucking painful and now i just like Ugh. what i'm just like whatever but then i for bathing suits i still feel like i have to do that like shave the bikini line for like other people's comfort, comfort. isn't that weird yeah like i'm like oh i don't want to shock anybody <laughs>
0: yeah i wonder about the hygienics of that because i know that the hair like traps things that like are supposed to like protect your vagina but also like I think sometimes it's like, well, it's getting kind of sweaty. Like maybe I need to mm-hmm. get like give it some air. It's just like preference. Pre- personal preference, yeah. yeah. And like the only like bottom hair that bothers me is the butt hair. I would get that waxed off. And, like if they just could do the butt, that would. They be They can great.
1: just do that. They could do whatever yeah. you want.
0: That's the only thing that I would that I would keep doing because that's like you just that's a good feeling. <laughs> Smooth butthole. Oh.
1: Yeah, I I feel like a lot of times it's more comfortable for me when I have been waxed. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't know. But I I mean, growing up. So painful. So painful. Growing Well, now I've started. (laughs) Did I tell you this story? What? So I get sugared, which is just like a different version of wax. You know, it's like like waxing, but different. Okay. And it hurts a lot. So I was like, you know what I should do is like I should like smoke or like get high before I go so that the pain is less. Right. So I did that and I go and I'm like kind of high and I'm lying there with like my hand on my stomach. Yeah. And then the woman's hand, because of like what she was trying to do, like her hand came over and like touched my hand and I was like, oh, that's nice because I was high. But in reality... Like her hand needed to be there, and
0: like I needed to remove my hand. Oh, but you just thought like the oneness of the world. Oh, did it help being high?
1: Oh yeah, it's great. Yeah. Oh yeah. It helps your nervousness, but also I think the pain is less intense. That makes sense.
0: That's a hot tip from us to you. (laughs) But then I was just like, like this woman was probably like, why won't she move her hand? Or she's like, oh, great. Another high client came in.
1: Right. Uh, You
0: think you invented something.
1: (laughs) I just think it's so interesting how much reaction body hair gets for people. Like I was looking into it. And in 2017, this model did an Adidas campaign where she didn't have shaved legs. And then she got rape threats because of it. (gasps) Like people get so mad if women don't like get rid of their body hair. I think they they get
0: mad because they're like, why are you not doing this thing for me? This performative act for me. Why and- are you not doing this for me? Yeah. Which to me, there's a slight, as a queer person, there's a slight fuck you a bit in like not shaving anything. I, in terms of my circle of friends like that are queer, I don't know anyone who really, uh, mostly everyone has underarm hair. And I mean, it's interesting because some of my trans woman friends, I definitely think feel pressure to like. Perform that femininity, so. Mm-hmm. But then other ones just have armpit hair, and they're like, whatever. Uh, all the cis women have armpit hair. Who cares? But it's kind of a funny thing of like who does shave their legs, because it's like, oh, that's interesting. Like it's just like a, like a femme thing rather than like a women thing. Mm-hmm. And like I, I think to me, I've stopped doing all that in part because of the community I'm in, where I'm just like nobody cares, and so then I'm like, oh, nobody cares. I don't care. Um, And I've gotten older and maybe more confident. So, like, Mm -hmm. if I were to hook up with somebody new, I would be like, this is the situation. Get on board or get off. (laughs) I don't really care.
1: I still do it for me, but I definitely care less about, like, if, like... I get cold and my arm hair happens like that used to be. Yeah, I would be so paranoid that someone would touch my arm and it would be like prickly and they'd be like disgusting. <laughs> so now it's like this nice thing where I like do it for me, but I'm not like obsessed with it and like really fixated on it. If like something goes wrong or I get cold or it's like so that's been there a is nice something change.
0: nice when you shave your legs and you feel kind of like aerodynamic like a seal. And also, i like, shaving
1: my vagina every single day like I did for, like, 10 years of my life. That cannot be good for you. It was horrible for me. Like, your skin can't handle that. It didn't handle it. It was not good. But I was, like, so obsessed that I should not have any body hair there that I did wow. that for, like, I mean, years and years and years. It's crazy.
0: I didn't know when I was, like, in high school. I didn't know that people did, like, got rid of their pubes. I had no idea for some reason. And so then, like, in college or something, a Someone was like, oh, I'm going to go get waxed. And I was like, oh, your your legs and your eyebrows and your in your mustache. Because my mom would get her legs waxed. And uh, she was like, no, uh, like a Brazilian. And I was like, what? Like, I remember learning about it. I was like, oh, are you supposed to do that? like mm-hmm. I, I just didn't realize that, and, and then it was like, "Well, that's what boys like, and I was like oh i didn't I didn't know, but then, like boys, I think, feel pressure to be like, That is what I like, because then, like later on in my life, I'd be like, Well, I have to wax, and then like my boyfriends would be like, What? We don't like yeah, sure, if you want to, but like mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter. But then I feel like they felt pressure to be like, Yeah, I don't know. It was a, it's like I feel like nobody's talking to each other. <laughs>
1: I'm curious to see just like in the next few years, especially after quarantine, like what becomes more normalized and what becomes like if it's going to more just be like a range where it's not that big of a deal if like a celebrity doesn't shave her armpits. It's like not going to be the cover of a magazine.
0: <laughs> I see a lot of people, celebrities not doing it. But it's still it's still news a thing. It's news, and when yeah. will it
1: not be news? When will it just sort of be like some people do it, some people don't. It's a range. Do whatever you want. Like I think that I'm I'm hoping to see that trend. Like maybe by the time like we have kids or something.
0: Yeah. And but I do feel at this point still that it's like a bit political. Oh, that I'm super like, political. This is what I I don't do it. And mm-hmm. like whatever, like me or don't. Yeah. Or just like I I'm like I'm still like stopping doing all that i'm like i'm still good looking like you know what i mean (laughs) i don't think you've ever worried about that (laughs) i just mean like what's gonna like you know are you gonna be like oh wow that girl's so hot and then i'm gonna lift my armpits and they're gonna be like you know what never mind no nobody would do that i think there might be some people
1: who would but that's again just a personal preference
0: then i don't want to talk to them exactly
1: (laughs) (laughs) tamika come on in and tell us about your armpits (laughs) Well, um, yeah, I'm naturally really, really hairy me too. I'm super hairy
0: I mean, I think it's nice that quarantine has allowed us to like alleviate some of the social pressure that Made us feel
1: like we need to change certain things about ourselves and I was thinking about you know what I want to take from being in quarantine into Mm non-quarantine in the future Have you guys been thinking about other things besides how you feel
0: about your body hair things that you want to take with you? when things are quote-unquote normal again. I like not feeling pressured to meet up with people. Like, I like uh, I like that all my meetings have been on Zoom. Oh, my God. That's incredible. I wear a T-shirt to the meeting. I will mm-hmm. keep that going. And I've been FaceTiming my parents more. <laughs> that's nice. Yeah.
1: I think for me, it's made me realize that I don't necessarily need to live in a place that is, like, super walking distance from a lot of, like, shops and businesses and stuff because I don't go anywhere now. Mm -hmm. So that's, like, opened my eyes to, like, that I could maybe live in, like, a more residential area and, like, be okay.
0: That's where I did. I moved. We were going to do, like, this, like, living in Echo Park, urban L.A. life and then go back and forth between there and New York. And now that all of a sudden became not a thing and so everything changed and now we moved to like a house with a backyard and like because I would never be home so I lived in like a hovel before and now it's like we want the house to be nice and we're Mm -hmm. like making the house nice which is was not a a thing that I was doing before what do we rate the episode um 10 out of 10 narcissists very simple but good (laughs) i know (laughs) i know i know but it was a good conversation hopefully it'll be useful for the listener unfortunately i think it will be
1: for a lot of people (laughs) yeah i'll go um
0: seven out of five tiny mustaches sometimes i like mine i like the statement it's me going say something Say something about yeah. it. It's literally in your face. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will rate it five out of five razors in the trash.
1: Ooh. Woo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you so much to Dr. Ramani for being our guest. Just Between Us is hosted by me, Alison
0: Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Our engineer is Brendan Burns. He also composed our killer theme music. Our producers is Tamika Weatherspoon, and our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Josephine Martarana. Just Between Us is a production of Stitcher. Also, I just want to promote an Audible original that I wrote called Apocalypse Untreated, which comes out on September 24th, which you can get on Audible. And it's basically the story of five teenagers who are in a mental health and addiction wilderness rehab during the apocalypse. They're the only ones that survive, and now they're fighting against the end of the world and also the end of their prescriptions Um, and you can check it out on September 24th I'm really excited about it so go do that Stitcher